And now let us join together in the litany of invitation and confession in your order of worship. We come to this place ready to worship God. We listen for how God might be at work in our world and in our lives. We desire to listen. The Bible tells of, of hope because God hears the prayers of God's people. We desire to be close to God, but in times of prayer, we know how far we have fallen short. Our intention to be loving has not matched our actions. We pause to confess our sins and ask for forgiveness. Sisters and brothers, God meets us where we are. By God's grace, we are forgiven. Let us receive God's love with open arms. We lift our voices reverently to God. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. It is a good day to be in the Lord's house with the Lord's people on the in the season of Lent as we move toward Easter. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, then Easter Sunday, so we're almost there. We come with expectant hearts. Especially do we welcome those of you who are guests among us today. Glad that you share this worship with us. There is on the edge of your order of service a response card. If you take a moment to put name on that, it'll help me connect name and face with you. And also, if there are any prayer requests you have, it's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need every week. So you can place that on the card and drop that in the plate as well. As we move through this service, we listen to the scriptures that carry our thoughts and our hearts. The first one uh, is about Jeremiah's word from the Lord saying that God's words and covenant is written upon our hearts. And then the second lesson will be about how Christ is our connector, the connecting link between us and God and how we get to know the personal aspects of God. And then the third scripture is the gospel lesson. It's about Jesus turning to the crowd and saying, my hour has come. My hour has come. It's the watershed continental divide of the gospel of John. And the question I have is, could it be that the church's hour has come? That this is the day that God has called us to live in and love in and have our lives in. We open our hearts as well as our ears, to the hearing of these words. Welcome. God promises to keep God's covenant, although God's people did not. A reading from the book of Jeremiah. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, 
For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Here ends the first lesson. And now let us say our prayers. Covenantal God, you are our God and we are your people. You call us into relationship with you so that we may know you. You seek us even though we do not always seek you. You know our faults and yet you have promised to forgive. Keep us in your presence and give us your wisdom. Remain with us and give us hope. Guide us in this Lenten season that we may turn to you in remembrance of your covenant with us. And in remembrance of your promises, may we be your people in a world desperate for peace and comfort. May we remember the law written on our hearts and embody the Christian love you call us to, love of you and love of our neighbor. Allow us to forgive the way you have forgiven us. Let us not hold grudges. Let us not stereotype people who look different than us or think different from us. Help us remember your covenant is for all people as well as your forgiveness. And in this Lenten season, may we practice your law and forgiveness in prayer and simplicity. As we take up your invitation to prayer, may we remember the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray saying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus prayed, as do we, from a place of petition and pain, a reading from the letter to the Hebrews. So Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Here ends the second lesson. Girls and boys, you can join us at the front. Pastor Daniel will take your offering. (laughs) I'm glad that you are all here today. How many of you have siblings? A lot of you do. Yes, I do too. And when I was a little girl, my brother, my big brother, was so mean to me. He would make fun of me, and he would push me, and just mess with me, and it made me so angry. He just wasn't very loving and kind. Have you ever felt like that with your siblings? That's good. That's good. Well, when he got older, and when I got older, he started to change. He started to be more kind and more loving, and he would look out for me when I was at school, and he would check in on me. It kind of surprised me, honestly. But now we're really great friends because of that love and that kindness that he showed me. Y'all are best friends. That's sweet. (laughs) So how do you show love and kindness to people? How might you do that? Hug them? Yeah, that's a good way. Maybe sharing things with them? Helping a friend at school? 
Yeah, those are all ways. How do you learn to show love and kindness? Where do you learn that? Yeah. How else? Who do you learn that from? Your parents? Teachers? Your friends? Yeah. Well, in the Bible, there's a verse. That's good that they know their letters. Yeah. In the Bible, there's a verse that says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. They will be, I I will be their God and they will be my people. What do you think that means? It's kind of a confusing verse, right? I think that it could mean that God has given us all of these feelings. Sometimes we feel angry, we feel sad, we feel happy. And God gives us those feelings because we can do something with them. Like if you feel sad, if you've ever been alone, you might feel sad. And you can use that sadness to help someone else who might feel sad or alone so that they won't have to feel that. Yeah. And maybe you feel angry if your brother or sister takes something from you. You, you can use that anger and help to help you understand if someone doesn't want to share with you. They might want to keep their toys, and you might have felt like that too. So... If you have ever felt unsure about what to do in a situation, you can stop and you can ask yourself, what would be the most loving and the most kind thing that I could do right now? And I think that that would, that would help you to know what God might want for you and how you could best live. Okay? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for all of the feelings that we feel every day. Help us to use those feelings to do better and to be better people so that we can live out the way that you want us to live. In your name we pray. Amen.
Please stand as you are able for the gospel reading. Jesus speaks of his destiny, and a voice comes from heaven, a reading from the gospel according to John. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Liz and I have finally gotten around to seeing the movie for which Gary Oldman won, a, won an Oscar. Some of you saw him receive that award. It's a movie about the life of Winston Churchill right at the beginning of World War II for Britain. Most memorable memorable to me about that movie are the speeches. Some people say that some of Winston Churchill's speeches are some of the greatest of the English language. For instance, on June the 4th, 1940, Churchill, speaking to Parliament, said, We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. And we shall never surrender. It was, as Churchill described in the movie entitled, It Was the Darkest Hour. Some of you know what it's like to spend time in the darkest hour, don't you? It may be when you were in the waiting room, the surgery waiting room at the hospital, and the doctor said, I think it'll take about two hours And there was the third hour when you were there, and the fourth hour you were there, and it felt like time had stopped. You knew about a dark hour. It could be in the middle of the night, and you see the clock, and it's 2 a.m. You roll over, and surely it's been an hour. You look back at the clock, now it's 2.05. It's the darkest hour. You go through times in life where time seems more difficult than others, the darkest hours. It could be that Jesus had a sense of premonition that he was coming up upon a dark hour. But in this text, he just refers to it as his hour. His hour has come. Now, you noted that this is in John chapter 12. So there's a lot of story that has preceded it and a lot of story that will follow it. Matter of fact, Jesus refers to his hour many times in the Gospel of John. That word appears more than in any other Gospel. In fact, as the stories go through leading up to this point, one of the literary devices that John uses is the not yet. As in, my hour has not yet come. They run out of wine mother of Jesus goes to him and says, can you help out here? And he says, woman, my hour has not yet come. Then in John 7, John 8, events happen. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. So 
we as listeners have gotten used to that rhythm. Not yet, not yet. And then we hear Jesus say, my hour has, and we go, we know, it's not yet come. But then we hear the opposite. My hour has come, he says. Suddenly we are awakened. And as we listen, we wonder, well, what triggered this big reveal? My hour has come. Was it a lame man that was healed and jumped up? Was it a dead person that was suddenly raised from the grave? No. What triggered the hour has come is two strangers who asked for a conversation with Jesus. Period. That's it. The request, though, of this conversation crossed cultures. These were Greek-speaking, remember it said, who went to Philip, who went to Andrew, who eventually got to Jesus. And it was something seemingly that as, an, as, as the strangers from another part of the world and life came and entered the story, that Jesus said, my hour has come. So what is it, this thing of Jesus' hour? What does it mean that the hour has come? This hour that Jesus refers to is about his glory and the shameful death that he will have as a political prisoner on the cross. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it will not bear forth fruit. As I read that and that prediction of death, I thought of the Salvadoran Catholic priest, Oscar Romero. Some of you have read about him. It was this month that he died back in the year 1980. He was gunned down while he was celebrating communion. The day before his death, he, he had invited the nation's soldiers to disobey the unjust orders of the government. He asked them to listen to the voice of God, whatever the cost. If uh, Dahlia and Fulgencio Ferrer were here, a Baptist who came from Cuba, they would say that Oscar Romero's martyrdom life had meant a lot to the Baptist movement of those in Cuba. Up until 1977, though, three years before his death, he was seen as quiet, pious, and a conservative cleric. He was a bishop who sided with the greedy landlords and the important power brokers. But then, but then one of his mentors died, Father Grande, a priest who was working to help the poor. And when the agents of the Salvadoran government gunned Father Grande down, Romero heard God's voice. Some say this was Romero's call to conversion, and he began to follow in the downward way of Jesus, and it led to him falling like a grain of wheat falling to the earth and dying. But through his death, revolution and liberation came. In John's gospel, the death of Jesus is like this. I would call it, from John's perspective, a redemption event of cosmic import. That through Jesus' death on the cross, not only what is torn in the human soul but also what is torn in the wound and the soul of the world somehow is healed. It's like the space-time continuum collapses and is made whole. What is revealed in the cross event in John is the inclusive but broken heart of God and that all of the cosmos is in that heart of God. This story is the continental divide in the gospel. After this, the only thing left is to go to the table on Thursday, go to the cross on Good Friday, wait out the silence of Saturday, and then Easter, Sunday, and beyond, as Easter just keeps on going. Jesus said, my hour has come. The question that I posed earlier is the question I've been pondering on the way to this sermon. What if not only Jesus' hour came, but what if the church's hour has also come? The church's hour, meaning Northside Drive Baptist, meaning the American church, meaning the global church. That is, what does it mean to give our lives? 
for the healing of the world. I love that Jewish story that the world was one and full and full of light, and then it got cracked, scattered, sending its pieces, billions of pieces, all into the cosmos. But now we as humans work with God to repair the world, to bring the light back together. The Lenten question is, what are you doing? What am I doing? What are we doing to repair the world? There's so much about our church of which I am proud, of how two years ago we passed our non-discrimination policy, of how we have built, with the hands of others, interfaith habitat bills. I'm proud of how all of you will sign up for committees on the nominating committee form in the Narthex. I'm just so proud of you of how you will do that, of how we live our lives, of how we try to hold on to a worship that we think has integrity and that calls forth our love. The question is not why do we have such few people? The question is, how do we manage to have so many, given that we're progressive Baptists in Buckhead? That's the other side of the question. So I'm proud of the stands that we have taken, but it is Lent. And so how do we confess, and how do we keep on with God in healing the world? Amy Butler, another Baptist, who is a pastor of Riverside Church in New York City, where Harry Emerson Fosdick and William Sloan Coffin also pastored, she's saying this text, the hour has come for the church. She asked the question, to whom do we look for examples of moral leadership? To whom is there, uh, what leaders do we have that have an ethical conscience? What leaders do we have that are moved by courageous compassion. As we draw lines through the nominees for the list, she says it is the church's voice that is needed now more than ever. It is the church's hour. I often say, you've heard me say before, that it's easy for the church to be seduced into being a curator of culture, to take care of the homeostasis of what is, to become a customer, to become a consumer, rather than being disciples of the downwardly mobile, crucified Nazarene. I think the church's hour has come because in a way we are not as beholding to culture as we once were. We were like a surfboard on top of the wave and a lot of people came to church, folk went to synagogue. It is not so now. It is those who choose to come and follow the footsteps of Jesus. We're going through withdrawals about that, but I think the church might be more the church than it's ever been before. It is this widening circle when the Greeks show up that Jesus says, my hour has come. It's like the gravity of God's broken heart is pulling all of the world in for the healing that will come through Christ. This past week, Liz and I attended a unity Seder at the temple on Peachtree. There were over 400 people there. My colleagues, Liz and I and other clergy, helped do the Seder. Two of my colleagues were Joanna Adams and Gerald Early. They led us in a litany. They read, quote, In Passover, we examine plagues, not just those of Egypt, but those that afflict our own generation, where people face discrimination because of their race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, or age. And then we read in response, Today we affirm that all people should have the right to equal treatment under the law. It was part of our Seder experience. I believe this is the church's hour. Time for me and you and all of us to do our Lenten homework and to ponder what are we doing to continue to help repair the world. I had a few things on my sampler platter. You can overhear how I'm thinking about what I'm involved, maybe you are involved in as well. 
Maybe this is a call for the continual repentance from the guns everywhere ecosystem that we have created in America. To use a biblical word, I believe this is idolatry. as a golden calf. I'm glad that younger voices are rising up. May they find stamina for the journey. Though I know it was controversial this week, the walkout Wednesday, you know, but I think it was a good profiling of a better day ahead. I liked what the Grady High School principal in Midtown said. She said, you cannot teach students the value of civic engagement and then deny them the opportunity to engage with the challenges of their time. She said, let them learn to lead by leading. Maybe so. Or, as we approach the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King, Jr., I'm thinking that we're not near done with race. Our hour has come. What that means for me is to put myself in proximity of the invisible wall of my white privilege, to which I am blind, but need others to help me know and touch. When the Greeks come asking the question in another language, from a different perspective, Jesus then discovers that his hour has come. A few months ago, I went with black and white clergy colleagues down to the Civil Rights Museum downtown, and they were all appalled at the TV room. Have you, have you been to the Civil Rights Museum? And there's this TV room with all of these old televisions that have knobs on them, dials, and on-off buttons. There, there used to be a day when you had to walk to the television to turn it on. Can you believe that, Mary Frances? I know, I know. We used to beat our clothes with rocks to clean them. (laughs) But they had all these black and white televisions with all these talking heads that said stuff that just spooked everybody in the room. Now, nearly everybody in the room, well, everybody in the room was younger than I was. And it would be these talking heads that said, we have these northern agitators who was coming down and stirring up trouble down here in the South. And uh, it's, it's what they've done to us. Things were good in the South till the northern agitators showed up. Well, I recognized all those guys. They were on the television in my living room every evening. Later, as we were debriefing and the colleagues that were there were talking about how, how incredible the language was, I said, well... All of those voices were affirmed by my home church as a child in northern Louisiana. And the white leaders were affirmed in my hometown. I said, I'm, I'm glad I've lived long enough to still be on the journey of healing. And we are still on that journey. Or another thing, I think the church's hour has come as the oldest trick in the book is always exploited, that would be fear. And I think for the modern church, it's the fear of loss of prominence. As in, our way of life is under attack. And if, if that grips you, then the end will justify the means, if you believe that to be true. Um, it always is interesting, what, who is our what is way of life, and what is attack? As I read the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, God was often the agitator, bringing to Israel uh, a challenge, calling out their religious observance that was absent of ethical consequence. Their way of life, God was challenging and was attacking. It ended up with the exile. It ended up with repentance. It ended up with a new beginning when they were leaving uh, old behaviors behind. Does the end really justify the means? 
Change has happened so fast in our world, hasn't it? Especially the last two and three decades. And our default reaction is fear. And if we let people capitalize on that, the, the end always justifies the means. But what if the church is able to firewall that fear and remarkably respond in love? That would say the church is our had come. could be that the church's hour has come in the, in the need for ecological compassion, followed by action. We have folk in our church like uh, uh, Allison and Will and Caitlin and others who are calling us to that. It's the church's job to first ask the question and keep that question before us as we struggle to find large enough answers. Remember the refrain of the Genesis creation story is day by day and day after day, the bottom line is always, and it was good. And it was good. How do we partner with God in repairing creation to continue to be good? Jesus' hour has come, he said, and I believe the church's hour has come. And it may come when it feels like this is our darkest hour. But the darkest hour is never the epitaph of the church, and especially on Easter. Wouldn't it be something if the other words that Churchill uttered in that same year, two weeks later, to the Parliament, could also be the words for the church, where he said, Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties so that history will say of us, this was their finest hour. Wouldn't that be something? If our darkest hour were also our finest hour, for the church's hour has come, let us work with God to make it so. Amen. is our tradition that when a word of challenge is offered, an invitation to dedication is also offered. As we respond to whatever voice of God you heard in these words, in these songs, in this silence on this day, we sing a song that speaks of uh, great sin that we bring to this place every day, But it also speaks of something greater than our sin, the grace of God. That's what the song's about. Let's stand together and sing.
Well, each time we gather, we bring our celebrations and our concerns, and I bring a few of those to you this morning. You'll notice that there, as it has been for the last few Sundays, an insert in your order of worship that has nominations to be filled out. We ask that you fill those out uh, by today, and there will also be sign-up sheets in the narthex on the table, so please take advantage of those. Bring in your Easter eggs and place them in the bin that's in the narthex. So please bring in Easter eggs filled with candy. And remember, the only advisory warning this year is no nuts in the candy. So bring in those eggs, please. Church Council will meet tomorrow at 7 p.m. And Tuesday, we will have uh, the second part of our tour of the stained glass windows through the Phoenix Flies program. And our very own Jordan Clark will be leading that tour again as he tells the story of the Bible and the story of this church through the stained glasses that you see around you. So join us Tuesday at 11. Romeo's will meet also Tuesday. Thursday will be our Lenten evening service at 6.45 p.m. in the chapel. And our discipline this week is works of love. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and the children are invited to gather in the narthex before the service, and they'll be given palms, and they'll process in uh, that morning. We look forward to that. Our prayers this week continue to be with the many families in our congregation who are going through difficult times, and with all of you who have your own concerns, we lift you up to the Lord. We began Lent on Ash Wednesday singing the song, the poetry and music of Psalm 51. And we continue today with the poetry and music of Psalm 51. The music of the 17th century Italian composer Antonio Lotti, who put the Latin text of Psalm 51 to music. Let us continue our worship with the giving of our tithes and offerings.
all-loving God, for the grace that has made it possible for us to live another day. Help us not take that for granted. For we need, as the song says, your tender mercies, who throughout our lives have been our guide. Receive these tithes and offerings as symbols of our love, and may they be used in your service this week. Bless and help and heal and hold us all week long. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And as we continue the journey of Lent this week, remember, may the strength of Christ uplift you, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage this day and every day as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.